0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open with me uh, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. We'll continue walking through Exodus together, and uh, for the past three weeks, this was intended to be a two-week sermon, and uh, it's turned into three. We uh, On the podcast, there will be Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, and and, I didn't intend it to be that way, but uh, uh, one of the things that I am learning more and more as I go along is that uh, if we're not dependent on the the Holy Spirit, then uh, everything that we do will come to nothing. We've got to be completely and totally in tune with and listening to the Spirit to direct uh, our efforts, and so uh, this has turned into a three-week, um, three-week project. And uh, for the past two weeks leading up to this, we have uh, we've been looking at the excuses that Moses offered to God when God came and said, "Okay, I'm going to rescue my people. I've heard their cry. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt, but I'm also I'm going to do it by sending you, Moses." And uh, and Moses sort of took a took a gasp and he stepped back and he began to offer God excuses, and he began saying things like. Who who am I, God? And he began to think back through his life and all the times that he had failed, and he said, God, I have failed way too many times. I am nobody. Who am I to go and, and take on such a huge task? And we looked at that excuse from Moses and applied it to us when we are also called to go and take the Great Commission. And to to share the gospel with those who are in our path every day. And we often say things similar. God, who am I? Look at my past. I've disqualified myself, certainly. To which God says, I'll be with you. It's not you that are going to worship in the end anyway. I'm going to be there in the end. The, The goal is not for them to like you or to be impressed by you. The goal is for them ultimately to come to see me in all of my glory and Moses steps back having that excuse shut down and so we too have had that excuse shut down and and he offers God a second excuse and he says God I don't I don't know enough God I don't even know your name I need you to tell me who you are God because when they ask me who is this God who came and spoke to you I need to know of all the gods in Egypt who are you I don't know enough and many of us have had that same excuse and said God I'm afraid that if I started a conversation with my coworker, if I started a conversation with my neighbor, that they would be more intelligent than me or better read than me, and they would come back with, with this question, and I wouldn't have an answer, God. So, God, I, I don't know. I don't think I know enough. God said to, to Moses, Moses, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to give you every word that you're going to need to say. I'm going to tell you exactly how the plan is going to go. And, and, and for Moses, this excuse was shut down. And for us, it's also shut down. We may not know every single detail of the plans that God has for us in these individual efforts as we share the gospel with friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members, but we do know his plan. His plan is to redeem a people to himself. We have this, this excuse of, I don't know enough shut down and just as God would give Moses every word to say God has given us his word in this book and he's given us his spirit to lead us into all truth and to be with us in the sharing of our faith and the telling of the gospel so Moses moves on to excuse number three which we looked at last week when when Moses said God they'll only reject me God they're not going to believe me we discussed last week that the problem with that was that Moses was in fact calling God a liar because Moses had just told, or God had just told Moses, Moses, they will believe you. And Moses comes right out of that and and says back to God, God, they won't believe me. And he begins to have this argument with God. And perhaps you have been there as well, where you have argued with God. And he said, Go to this person, go to this people. And you've said, They won't believe me. And. God, he goes kind of off on this tangent of grace to Moses to show Moses that it's not his responsibility to convince. That God will do the convincing. It's only his job to go and to speak. Well, this morning we're going to look at these last two excuses that, uh, that Moses offers to God. But, uh, but I want to start with a little illustration that was unplanned in my sermon this morning. Uh, what is this? You don't see that stick of gum, okay? Ray Ray Fowler, this morning, unbeknownst to him, came to me and said, "Uh, "You're a connoisseur of gum, aren't you?" I'm not sure that was the words that Ray used, but it was something like that. I said, "Sure, I like a good piece of gum." And he proceeded to pull this pack out of his pocket, and he said, "You got to try this." And he showed me the front, and he just held it for with dramatic pause without having to say a word, and he showed me that it was Juicy Fruit gum. But it was not just Juicy Fruit, it was Juicy Fruit Starburst Strawberry. And he said, it tastes just like the strawberry Starburst, starburst and it will blow your mind. And, uh, and he said, they got, they've got it in cherry too, and he said, it's, it's incredible, you've got to try it. And I said, Ray, I'm going to save it till after I drink my cup of coffee, because I could not imagine what Starburst... Strawberry juicy fruit gum would taste like with a good cup of Starbucks French roast. But anyway, there uh, I I just I just told him I would hold off. But I share that with you to show you Ray simply did with with uh, juicy fruit starburst strawberry gum what we are called to do with the gospel. Ray believed in this gum, didn't he? Ray said. This gum's worth sharing. And all Ray did is he came to me and he said, you got to try this gum. And see, the reality is, what we're called to do with the gospel as believers, and I'm going to lay this right here, and if I forget this, don't anybody come here and steal this gum. Because <laughs> I ain't going to try this. But what we're called to do with the gospel is simply to tell. To simply to, to believe the gospel, to believe that the gospel is worth sharing and to go to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members and say to them, Look, you gotta try this. You gotta believe this. You won't, you won't believe what they've done now, what God has done now. He sent his own son to die in my place, and I was a sinner and I was undeserving. But he came when I was not looking for him, and he took my place so that I might be forgiven and I might live with him throughout all eternity. That's what you're called to do. That's what all of us are called to do in the gospel. But Moses here, just as he has rejected and offered excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse to God, in the same way, why is it that in the church we know what we ought to do, But evangelism doesn't always come so easy. Let's look at our passage together. Exodus chapter 4. I won't read the entire block of the passage again, but I'll simply begin in verse 10. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. We'll pick up with the fourth excuse that Moses offers to God. Verse 10, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or, or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The fourth excuse that Moses offers to God is the excuse of, I'm not a good speaker. And if we're honest, many of us have used that same excuse when it comes to to sharing with others the gospel or telling them about the Lord and, and all that he has done in the sending of Christ. We say, well, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know that I could do that. And you look up at, uh, up at a platform in a church service, and you see those of us who are up here often speaking, and, and what you don't realize is that there was a time when all of us were so terrified to do this as well. in fact, still, to this day are, are that way as well. Moses offers this excuse of, "I'm not a good speaker, God." The literal translation is, li- is, is "My tongue is heavy." My tongue is heavy. You ever feel like your tongue is heavy?" When you begin to speak to somebody, you ever have one of those moments where you feel like you're just coming off of anesthesia, you know, and you just can't figure out what to say, you know, and it just seems to kind of roll in your mouth but not really do what you want it to do, as if your tongue is sort of wading through oatmeal to try to say what you want it to say. I'll get in the car sometimes after Sunday and my beautiful wife, my beautiful encouraging wife will say to me, did you really say fill in the blank? We were at a uh, pastors and wives retreat uh, last weekend and uh, the speaker who was there was, telling, was, was retelling the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes and, and he made the statement very quickly. He said, Jesus fed the multitudes with five loaves of fish and two bread. You've got to think about that. Sometimes our tongues don't, don't work as fast as our brains want to work. And it doesn't, you don't have to be a pastor for that to be the case. You walk into a new situation where you're a little bit inferior, you're not, you're not as confident as you probably are, are in other situations, you're around new people and you feel a need to impress them, and all of a sudden your tongue just doesn't do what you want it to do, and you begin to either do one of two things. You begin to either talk way too much, and you, you just don't want to shut up and you just keep going and keep going and keep going and everyone just sort of gets awkward. And you finally stop and there's just that awkward silence and nobody knows what to do. And somebody says, well, how about this weather we're having? And you realize you did that. So you either, you either go that way and you talk way too much or you go the opposite way and you clam up and you don't say a word. And people think, what's wrong with So-and-so. They just seem to be so stuck up. I think they think they're better than everybody else. And the reality is, it's not that at all. You're just so insecure and nervous, and you just don't know what to say. This is what Moses is going through here. Moses knows exactly what you and I go through on a daily basis, and he says to God, God, my tongue's heavy. There's no way I can go into Pharaoh and say these things. I can't go to the elders of Israel and say these things. God, I'll get all tongue-tied and twisted up, and, and, and I'll embarrass you, God. My tongue is heavy. I'm not a good speaker. Well, just as I asked you last week what was wrong with Moses' excuse last week, and we looked at the fact that God was actually, or Moses was actually calling God a liar. Well, this week, I'll ask you again, what's wrong with this excuse? Is it is it not that when Moses looks at not only the creator of the universe but the creator of Moses and says, "God, I'm not a good speaker. I've never been eloquent. I've not been eloquent in the past. God, I'm, I'm not I'm not any more eloquent since you've been talking to me." In other way, in other words, what was wrong with Moses' excuse is this is a complaint. This is, Moses is here logging and filing this complaint against the one who made him. And he says, God, you ought to know this. I've been out here in the wilderness for 40 years talking to sheep. You made me this way, God. I can't speak well. And Moses even goes further and says, God, you're calling me to do this. But even in this little bit of time we're, we're having this conversation, you've not made me any more eloquent in the last five minutes. As if, God, you oh, you, you got to show me something. This is a complaint. Moses is complaining against God. God's answer to Moses is, Moses, who do you think made your mouth? How would you have liked to have been there in, in that moment? From the bush that's on fire, that is not being consumed, that is just told him, remove your sandals, you're on holy ground. I am the Lord. Moses, who do you think made your mouth? I did verses 11 and 12 there he, he, God sort of goes on a rant in a, same, in a similar fashion to what he did with, with Job if you've ever read the book of Job and you come to those chapters in 38, 39 and, and forward all through there you see God finally has enough of Job's questioning and, 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 and all the things that are going on and he just goes on a rant and says where were you when I did this? where were you when I made this? in a similar fashion he says to Moses who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then he just says, go. Now therefore, go. And I'll be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. Do, I wonder if we realize that we are just clay. I think in this day and age, in, in this moment in history, we are taught over and over again that we are really the center of our universe. And that the individual matters. Matters more than they really actually do. And that they are, they are ultimate. And that, that if, if nobody else is going to look out for you, you got to look out for you. So step on whoever else you want to to make sure that you get where you want to go. Because really, this whole story of history is your story. Seize the day. And I wonder, church, if we as believers, as Christians, in this soup of culture that we live in understand biblically what the Bible teaches about us. That yes, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. Yes, we are unique. Yes, God knows the number of hairs on our head and all those things that give give worth to every single human on the planet. Whether they are born with this or or, or whether they are this... Uh, age or or, or whatever the case may be, every one of us have been made in the image of God, but I wonder if we realize that the Bible also teaches that we are simply clay. That we are clay that has been shaped and molded by the master sculptor. I've never been into sculpting, but I I imagine it would be an awkward thing if, if the person who's there on the wheel and they're shaping and molding this clay into whatever it might be, I think it would be an awkward thing if the clay started talking back to the sculptor. I would imagine that's probably when I leave the room. The clay has no right to say to the master, why did you form me this way? I don't like the way you did my stem. I don't like the way you, you did the, the, the handle. I don't like the way you did the flute. The clay has no right to say to the sculptor, why have you made me this way? And Moses is now turning to God and saying, God, why would you make me this way if you are going to call me to this? You know how I am. I'm not eloquent. I don't speak well. My tongue's heavy. It's not gotten any lighter since we've been speaking. And God's answer to Moses is, Moses, I made you, and I made you exactly how I made you for this task. See, the reality is God is going to glorify himself in such a way that he alone gets the glory, and he's not looking for those who are so eloquent and already capable But instead, he's looking for those that he can pour his spirit into and work in spite of. So that he alone gets the glory. Do you understand that there are some people that that you alone are uniquely suited to reach? Whether it's because of where you work or live. Or because of what you have experienced in your life. Or maybe something that you've always looked at as a handicap. Whatever the case may be, there are some people that you and you alone are uniquely suited to be able to reach. Instead of us looking back at the master sculptor and saying, God, why have you made me this way? Maybe we should learn from God's answer and say, God, I've not always been pleased with how I've been made. But God, I thank you that you are capable to use me the way I am to reach these people. Use me for your purposes so that you might be glorified. You see, Paul would tell us 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 27 through 29 but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you understand that when, when, uh, when Paul spoke, not necessarily when he wrote, but when he spoke, that those of his day made fun of him. They poked fun of the way he spoke, that, that he may have been powerful in his letters, but he was weak and even peculiar in his speech. But Paul is the same one who said, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, I would say the same thing, that if, if, if Paul can embrace whatever thorn that was in his flesh, so that it might make him appear to be weak, so that God might be shown strong, then maybe we need to take a lesson from that same page. Charles Spurgeon, when uh, when he pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in, in London, uh, he was re- he was referred to on more than one occasion as a 19-year-old country-bred boy. He was, uh, he was once called a, a, a pulpit buffoon. He was dismissed as a nine-day wonder. And Charles Spurgeon, when he died in, in January of 1892, London, all of London went into mourning. 60,000 people came to pay homage during the three days that his body lay in state at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. A funeral parade of of two miles long followed his hearse from the tabernacle to the cemetery at Upper Norwood. 100,000 people stood along the way with flags flying at half-mast shops and and the pubs were closed. And all for this country-bred boy preacher who was a pulpit buffoon and a nine-day wonder. My question to you is, are you willing to be called names and insulted and suffer with calamities in order to make much of Christ? William Cooper, another example from history. William Cooper, spelled Cowper, but it's William Cooper. He was an 18th century poet who spent most of his life in asylums for the insane. He suffered with depression and fought off feelings of suicide. William Cooper, though, is the one who wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood. William Cooper, who many thought wasn't worth listening to at all, penned some of the greatest lyrics to one of the greatest hymns that we will sing over and over and over again. The words are, Ere since my faith I saw the stream, your flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing your power to save when this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. I imagine that William Cooper struggled with this feeling of, I don't speak well. I don't have a voice. Who would want to listen to me? And God uses the weak he uses the fools of the world and those who don't speak well and those with all sorts of things that many of us would consider handicaps to bring glory to himself. You and I have no excuse to hide behind when we say, God, I don't speak well. Hear God say to you, who made your tongue? Who made your mouth? Now go, speak for me. The fifth excuse that Moses gives to God, and and when God calls him to go to Pharaoh to deliver the people out of Egypt, is I don't want to. This doesn't sound like much of an excuse, and surely this is the the weakest excuse that he's ever given to God in in this passage that we're looking at, but it is certainly the most honest. In a moment of unbridled honesty where Moses I think is at the end of his rope and does not know what else to say, he simply looks at God and he said God, please send somebody else the translation is literally God, surely you know someone else that you could send when he saw that he was going nowhere with his, his excuses, he finally admits I just don't want to God I don't want to do this, and, and church I'm afraid that this is the reality for too many of us in the church. When the pastor stands or the Sunday school teacher stands and, and teaches and, and we read the passages of the Great Commission or of Acts 1-8 or, or some other place in Scripture where we're commanded to go and to tell and to make disciples to the glory of God, I think the reality is for too many of us, we just don't want to. See, the reality is in America, Christianity is upside down. We have our world upside down, and we've we've turned God into some sort of a of a butler who's simply there to to meet our every whim and our every want. But when it comes time to actually serving Him as the center of the universe, as the one worth all the praise, then we are slow to react. We want and we want and we want it's interesting to note God's answer to Moses. Moses said to God, God, I don't want to. Maybe he didn't say it that way, but he, that's what he said. God, I don't want to. Please send somebody else. And God's answer to Moses is, no, not an option, Moses. But I will give you a partner. And notice the grace even in the giving of his brother Aaron. He doesn't take no... As an answer, though, for the first time, it was, as we read through this, after, after four previous excuses, finally the Bible tells us that God gets angry. It's not because four is okay, but five is crossing the line with God. It's not like God has a certain number that once you pass that, oh, he's past the boiling point now. He's gone into the red line, and now things are about to blow up. Instead, we're simply told here that God gets angry. I don't want to. God gets angry. I think for us, it ought to be a reminder to us, and we need this reminder in this day and age, that God should terrify us. For too long, we have preached and, and, and painted this image of God as if He's this nice, slightly overweight, older man, sitting up in the clouds somewhere, in a rocking chair, who just wants to del out his wealth and riches to us. Oh, you want that? Oh, that's great. Let me give that to you. This is the image we have of God. And God should terrify us. We should come to the place where Job came to at the end of God's rant to him where he said, I put my, mouth, my hand over my mouth and I won't speak another word we forget that God is terrifying without the Gospel. That if you and I are not standing in Christ, then we should be afraid. And even in our standing in Christ, we should not be so casual with our sin that there are some sins that as Jerry Bridges say, says, are respectable sins. And we can do these and we can sort of laugh at these and we can make jokes about these and these are, these are puns and we can, we can sort of just all expect to do these. God should terrify us. We would expect God in this moment. When the Bible says God got angry with Moses, we would expect God here to just chicken fry Moses. Right? To just... Take him out. Fill in whatever word you want to use to to nuke him, right? We would expect God to say, Moses, that's enough. But God doesn't. Don't miss the fact that God in His grace, even in His anger, I know your brother speaks well. He's on his way to see you. And when he sees you, he's going to rejoice in his heart and I'll allow him to go to speak for you. You'll give him my words, and he'll speak. He'll be your mouthpiece. You'll be like God to him because I'm going to be speaking directly to you. And we see going on further that, that Aaron does less and less speaking, and Moses, once he steps out there in faith, Moses actually begins to do a lot of the talking. But don't miss the fact that God, in his grace, gives Moses Aaron. How many times have I wished that and this week, how many times have I wished that even in my anger, I was more gracious? How many times have I thought, oh, I wish I hadn't said that sitting at basketball games. Why did I say that? Why did I do that with my kids? Why? Why, why did I blow up the way I did? With my wife in the middle of a grocery store. Why? Why? Why did I let that bother me so bad? You know why? Because I'm not God. There's only one like Him. There's only one who is His Son who has come and lived perfectly. And there is only one Jesus who is now offered to me His perfect obedience and takes fully my sin. Not just my sin that I had already committed when I, fi- when I first believed, but all of my sin that I would ever commit God knew when he sent Christ to die on that cross that I would blow up in the middle of angels but don't don't miss also that not only is God gracious to Moses in his anger but he doesn't bend on his on his demand God says to Moses Moses no more talking you're going. And, and with that, the conversation is over. Anybody ever done that with your kids? Let it go back and forth for a time? But why? But, but why can't I do this? So-and-so will be there. Everyone else is, is, is letting their, their kids go. You all are the worst parents in the world. And finally you say, no more talking. It's not an option. And this is what God does. Moses, no more talking. You're going. Pick up your staff. Take Aaron with you. Go. It's beautiful. Church, I'm afraid that we hide behind this excuse, and we have gotten to the place where we celebrate this excuse and think that this is is perfectly okay. I don't want to. Okay, you don't have to. If you're looking for this pastor to stand in this pulpit and to hear you say, I don't want to. I don't want to go to my neighbor. I don't want to go to my coworker. And if you're looking for me to say, it's okay, you don't have to. You're not a very good speaker. They might reject you anyway. I mean, look at your past. Yeah, all those things excuse you. You, Don't worry about it. We'll send somebody else. I mean, Ray likes gum. We'll send him. We'll just train him to talk about Jesus instead of gum. If you're looking for that, you're not going to get it. Because the Bible doesn't give us that. We say, well, evangelism's not my thing. It's not my gift. It's not something that's only for those gifted in evangelism. We are all called to the Great Commission. We are all called to speak of Jesus. Might we dare to speak of Jesus? Might we dare to speak of the gospel? When God reveals himself to us in mercy, he also calls us to go on mission. I read this, and one of the commentators I was reading, and I don't remember which one, but uh, it was was said there, too often we want the mercy, but not the mission. The blessing, but not the burden. To be saved, but not to be sent. And I think that's true. I wrote this coming out of that. I, I just wrote it down, and I want to read it to you. For too long, we've allowed the fear of man or the pull of the flesh... To blind us from the power of God before us. Church, it's time that we stop giving excuses and dare to speak of Jesus. You say, well, how, how do we apply this? Well, let me just give you some things that I jotted down. And, and you may want to jot these down. I'm not going to give you real practical things, but, but some of these are fairly practical. But uh, I, I want to talk about some application for us as a church that might be something we want to shoot for in in a a culture that we nurture here number one evangelism is not a program to join it's a way of life you're free to go and speak of jesus you don't have to wait for us to create some tuesday night visitation program You don't have to wait for this or that for us to put our stamp of approval on it and say, this has been formally signed off on by the pastor and the deacons. Now use this and nothing else. You're free to go. Go speak of Jesus. It's not a program to join. This is a way of life. This is you walking up and instead of pulling a pack of gum out of your pocket, it's walking up and saying, Has anybody ever told you about Jesus? And you start a conversation. Number two, a church only becomes more evangelistic as its members become more evangelistic. Church leaders can and should model it, but the members have to own it. I hope you hear me today saying, over the last three weeks, saying, stop making excuses and go. Own this thing. How many friends do you have on Facebook? I know they're not like real, like, close, best friends. They're the people you only hear from once a year and it's on your birthday. Right? And they have to wish you a happy birthday because it popped up. They got a notification that you had a birthday today. But why not? Why not take advantage of that and say, can I, can I share something with you? We, we lose sight of the people that God has placed in our lives all the time. Number three, lead them to see Jesus. Not you, not another person, not a favorite preacher, not a church. Lead them to see Jesus. There's nothing wrong with you inviting people to church. We want you to do that. We feel like this is a place where people will hear the gospel, so by all means, invite people to church. We've put together these packets these doorstep packets that you can pick up. Erskine, I don't think, is here this morning, but he's kind of over that. And if you'd like to get some of those, we'd love for you to take them. It's simply a tool, because we know that sometimes it's easier to have something in your hands to start a conversation than just to start a conversation cold Turkey. It's a little packet that has information about the church, has a DVD in there with several of us being interviewed, and, and it's just a good way for us to kind of break the ice. In the same way that, that you think standing behind a cup of coffee sort of hides you and they don't see all your flaws the same way as this packet could be for you it helps to break the ice so number four see people as they really are people are sinners in need of a savior they're not good people who you know i just don't i think they'll get there without christ people are sinners who need a savior The second part of that, of see people as they are, is there's not one of them that is beyond the reach of God's grace. Don't look at people and write them off saying they would never come to Christ. I've said this often, and I'll say it again. So were some of you. So was I. If you go back and you were to interview the people that graduated in class of 1992 from Sevier County High School in East Tennessee and ask them, what would you think Scott Ogle would be doing right now? This would be the last thing they would tell you. Don't write people off because you think you know what God has decided about them. Number five, read, study, train, prepare. Don't hide behind that excuse to say, God, I don't know enough, but then never do anything about it. I hated to read. In high school, hated to read. College, hated to read. It wasn't until God grabbed my heart and changed my heart and sent me to seminary that I began to love to read. And it's still to this day, just to be honest, it's a love, but it's a, it's a, it's a labor as well. I don't naturally just drift there. I, I naturally drift to sports center. You've got to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Number six, take risks. Step out there. Yes, they may reject you, but they might not. Take risks for the gospel. Number seven, trust God's promise and His power through you. Those two words are are key. His promise Remember what he said to Moses? Moses, I'll be with you. The same way he says it to every single believer here today. I'll be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will take up residence in your life. And that second word is power through you. You look at some people and you say, I can never convince them. And that was the excuse Moses gave. They'll never believe me. And God said, you're not the one. With the role of convincing, I am. I turn staffs into snakes. I make hands leprous and make them clean again. I turn water to blood. I can turn dead hearts to live ones. And number eight, let's encourage and celebrate obedience and effort in others. When you hear of somebody coming along and, and they say, you know what? I was talking to my coworker the other day about the gospel, and it didn't go that well. One of the things that we ought to do, we ought to be quick to do, is to say, that's great that you were able to do that. And we ought to encourage, and we ought to celebrate. When, when you see someone come in, bring someone that, that they know that's, that's not a regular here, you ought, to, you ought to let them know, maybe not right there in front of them, like don't go running up to them and say, I'm so proud of you. You did what the pastor said. Look, you brought somebody. You know, that's going to probably make it awkward, right? But maybe go to them and say, just privately, you encouraged me today. Seeing you be obedient has inspired me to step out on faith. We ought to celebrate that. We ought to celebrate next week when when those waters are filled and there are people going through those waters. We ought to celebrate that. You know why? Not because it means Abner Creek Baptist Church is growing. Instead, what it means is God is worshipped where he once wasn't. God's worshipped in the heart of someone new. That's amazing. Stop making excuses. Let's dare to speak of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you that you have have so loved us that you sent your Son. He lived and died for us so that we might be forgiven, that we might be made clean. But God, it doesn't stop there. Lord, you've also called us to mission. And God, I pray that in this place, in this people, in this faith family, God, that you might birth in us a passion for your name among our neighborhood that you might birth in us a passion for your name among the nations god that your name would be at the top of the things that we love to talk about that we might be people that are quick to share to quick to speak to you that, that we might be people that are obedient And not simply from a place of duty, although sometimes it will feel that way. But God, that you might increase our delight in the sense that you not only have saved us, but that you've called us to join you in the mission of God. Lord, I thank you for that and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. I don't know how you need to respond. Maybe over the course the last three weeks one of these excuses has hit you particularly hard and you've been convicted. Maybe right now you just need to repent of whatever it was and just ask God to help you from this point forward to not hide behind that excuse any longer but that you might be an evangelist. Maybe you're here and This whole talk of evangelism is really a little forward thinking for you because you've not come to know Christ as your Savior yet. You can't join the mission until you receive the Savior. So today, if you're here and, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, turning from your sin and asking Him to take your sin, to make you right, then I'd love to speak with you. I'll be seated down here on the front row. I'd love for you to come talk to me and, and let's talk about how today you can be saved. There'll be people that'll be in a prayer room just out that door and around to the left. They'd love to pray with you. Just brothers and sisters that would come alongside. Maybe you say, this, is, this, this excuse is so powerful over me. I, just, I think I need a brother or sister to just maybe sort of confess this to and then to pray with me. Over this. It's a great place to do that. Whatever it is that God is calling you to, the only way that you will ever find peace and joy is by pursuing it in Him. And if He's calling you to something, running from it will not help. Surrender today, say yes to Him. Let's worship God as we respond in obedience.